Uh, as we go to our message today, we're in part six of our sermon series, A Community Need Assessment. I think the verdict is still out on how the pandemic will uh, affect church attendance in the long run. I had somebody say to me early on that they feared that this taking uh, this long time away from church would do permanent damage to some's involvement in church later on because they'd get out of the habit of going to church. We'll see. We'll see. Either way, I do see a vital need in the church today, especially in America, for the need to commitment to community. And if you've missed any of the messages so far, would encourage you to go back and listen to them. Uh, the last two messages lead up to this same passage of Scripture we're looking at this morning. But community, uh, I knew it was important in Scripture, but as I've done this series, honestly, I could preach on this all year long because the essential need of community in the body of the believers is throughout Scripture. It permeates every letter of Paul. It permeates a lot of what Jesus says. And so I hope and pray. I know over the years, just speaking from the heart, I've heard of people who have gotten hurt by somebody in the church, and they check out. Well, that's not only breaking the heart of those involved, it is also breaking the heart of Jesus, because the church is his body. So it would encourage us to listen wholeheartedly to these scriptures, because there is a depth, I guarantee you, that I have not seen before doing this series and there is a depth for each and every one of us here. There is more in the scriptures if we truly stop and slow down long enough than we will ever fully realize in our lifetimes. Some of us experience that occasionally when the light bulb goes off when we're doing our devotion or whether we're doing our study or, or whatever it is. And so hopefully today will be one of those days where light bulbs from the Holy Spirit will uh, be frequent. But I encourage you to turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. And that is where we pick up from where we left off uh, the other week. Paul writes, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends. But leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. 
In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word this morning. Paul begins by emphasizing that love must be sincere in the church community. A lot of us hear that, and I guarantee you, your initial reaction would be what mine would be. Duh. Love must be sincere. The Greek word behind this translation basically means unhypocritical. And if you remember back in Greek theater, many of us have heard this before, they had all male actors. They didn't have that many actors to play several parts, and they were all men. And so in order to distinguish which character was being played at any moment, they held up all their different masks to show who they were at that particular time. Well, in a similar way, we often wear masks ourselves. I'm not talking about literal masks, but images that we project to certain individuals and groups. We may talk and act a certain way around a group of people, but quite another way around another group. For instance, some of us wear one mask when we go home with our families. We have a different mask for when we go into the school around our fellow students or our colleagues at work. And we have an even different mask that we might wear here when we're with other believers at Shiloh. Problems arise, however, when our masks are inconsistent with one another, meaning that one more accurately reflects who we truly are while the others are not rooted in reality. Such issues can severely damage our witness both as individuals and as a community. When one or more of these masks reflect bad attitudes, so-called stinking thinking, poor decision-making, and sinful or even evil behaviors. I remember talking years ago when I went to the denomination of which I was a part of at that time up north. And I was talking to someone and they knew somebody that I knew. And they were talking about what an awesome man that, father's, that guy's father was. And I knew from talking to my friend that his father was abusive. His dad had a very good mask to wear around the church. You see, for love to be sincere and unhypocritical, we have to be willing to be real. We have to be willing to take our mask off. We need to be honest about our shortcomings and our failures and allow ourselves to be held accountable. How many of us enjoy that? I put on a mask just then, raising my hand. Could you tell? But think about it, genuine love doesn't feign forgiveness and act polite to a person's face, all the while negatively gossiping and talking about that person behind their back in an effort to make them look bad to others. Genuine love doesn't act all concerned and tell a person that, oh, I'm going to be praying for you, and then when you walk away, turn around and forget about it. Genuine love doesn't allow uh, uh, doesn't gloat and celebrate when someone has been hurt by our words or actions but instead is vulnerable yet courageous enough to be honest and confess one's own faults and failures 
I remember one time where there was a group in a church where I was a part years ago that took issue with how I did children's sermons. And a couple of the older guys uh, were down at the end of the hall, and I scooted in my office fairly quickly because they caught me off guard. I didn't expect them to be there, but they were two of the loudest critics. And I remember hearing them down the hall saying, he got scared and went in that office, didn't he? <laughs> Now, is that fruit of the Spirit being demonstrated right there? They were what I would call Bible thumpers. They'd be quick to call out God's Word. I made a point right there. I said a little prayer, and I went down and talked to them. I wasn't ugly. But they didn't gloat while I was there. <laughs> That's not genuine love. Genuine love doesn't overlook destructive, sinful patterns of behavior, but cares enough when necessary to speak the truth in love. Especially when that person's causing great harm to themselves and those around them. Genuine love doesn't self-righteously exalt itself over the sins and struggles of others. Well, at least I'm not as bad as they are. But instead it recognizes the planks in our own eyes so that we might humbly and compassionately remove the specks from our brothers and sisters' eyes. Genuine love welcomes others regardless of their family, their race, their gender, their social class, or even their struggles with sexual identity. Genuine love recognizes that all of us are made in the image of God and are valued by God to the point that he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, for every one of us so that we all might have the opportunity to receive forgiveness and eternal life through him. Which leads us to the first point. As a church community, we are to exercise an agape love for one another that demonstrates authenticity authenticity it's the real deal there were several words for love in the greek language back then but the highest level of love was the word agape many of you have heard that before that's the word that paul's using here in verse 9 in the new testament agape is the word that best describes god's amazing sacrificial undeserved love for us it's what he says in romans 5 8 god demonstrates his own agape love for us in this while we were still sinners christ died for us we as christ followers are called to demonstrate agape love for god as well in return but not only that he calls us to agape love for one another in Ephesians 5, 1 through 2, it, Paul says, Be imitators of God as dearly loved children and live a life of agape. There's that word again, agape love. Just as Christ agape loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Agape love is marked by a willingness to sacrifice one's own self-interest if it is in the best interest of the other. Agape love is offered without expecting anything in return. Agape love is willing to be inconvenienced, 
endure an uncomfortable situation or even suffer and die if necessary for the benefit of others. Authentic agape love is evidence, the scripture tells us, of a genuine relationship with God. In 1 John 4, 7 through 8, Dear friends, let us agape love one another, for agape love comes from God. Everyone who agape loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not agape love does not know God because God is agape love. It's a high calling. Paul describes what this love looks like. We often read it at weddings. It gives you the warm fuzzies as you're thinking about a couple going into marriage. They don't realize how much they're going to need that agape love along the way, do they? Often. But this is a love that Paul says we are to have for one another as a community of believers. He says, agape love is patient. Agape love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always loves, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Does that, is that what our love for one another in this room look like, looks like? If somebody's going after one of us, are we like a big brother or big sister ready to fight for him, so to speak? Our love for one another is not to be an act. It is to be authentic. Authentic. This kind of love does not, Paul says in that passage, delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. He takes this thought even further in Romans 12, verse 9, when he asserts that authentic love hates what is evil do we hate it and clings to what is good and that brings us to point number two we are to exercise an agape love for one another that demonstrates goodness goodness look at verse 14 where he spells it out a little bit more for us it says bless those who persecute you Bless and do not curse. Then jumping down to verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How many times have we seen things fracture in a church because evil is repaid with evil? Because somebody is not going to get one over on us. Agape love does not allow itself to be overcome by evil. Agape love 
does not seek to conquer evil with evil. Every time I hear this, I always think about the Andy Griffith show where Andy asked Barney, how do you fight fire? Or Barney asked Andy, how do you fight fire? And Andy says, with a hose. He says, no, with fire. And before the episode's over with, it makes a bigger mess. The same is true for us. And it not only wreaks havoc on our lives it wreak, and relationships, it wreaks havoc on our witness to the world around us as well. When someone says or does something that hurts us, we don't try to verbally insult them in order to hurt them in return or put them in their place. Nor do we walk around pretending that nothing's wrong, all the while nursing a grudge and talking to others about the, our issues with this person in the hope that they'll take our side and perhaps even start uh, spreading their own version of gossip about this person, of course painting us in a good and positive light and this person in a bad and negative light. Agape love doesn't sit around and wait for someone to repent before extending forgiveness. This is a tough one. <laughs> Forgiving people who have apparently or appear to have no remorse at all. How many enjoy that? I'm not going to even put on a mask for that question. That's tough. That's tough. Agape love, though, like Jesus, as he hung suffering on the cross for hours with the spiritual torment in addition to the physical torment, agape love looks out and says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Have you ever realized that the folks that often hurt us deeply, they don't fully understand the depths to which they have hurt us? Most of the time, they don't even have much of a clue. Can we still look out and say, Father, forgive them? For they don't know what they're doing. Agape love doesn't seek to curse those who curse us. Agape love seeks to bless and build up those who hurt us and to speak and act respectfully and kindly to those who are hostile toward us. Not with the intent to shame and embarrass them or to get something in return or to make them feel bad, but simply to show them genuine, authentic love as Jesus did. When he said those words from the cross, was he trying to belittle anybody? He meant them. And it was all an act of service and giving and sacrifice. But I want to be quick to qualify here, and I usually am. I like what Dr. N.T. Wright says here. He says, this does not mean going soft on evil. Saying you shouldn't take revenge isn't a way of saying evil isn't real or that it didn't hurt after all or that it doesn't matter. Evil is real. It often does hurt, sometimes very badly, indeed, and with lasting effects, and it does matter. I think you got that dead on right there. I couldn't have said it better. You see, healthy, strong boundaries in the face of repetitive hurt and abuse that puts one's emotional, physical, and even spiritual well-being in jeopardy, those types of boundaries are a good thing. Remember, agape love hates what is evil. 
but clings to what is good. While we are to live at peace with everyone as far as it depends on us, Paul acknowledges in verse 18 that sometimes that's just not possible. I remember when I was talking to folks here before I got hired as the pastor, and one of the lessons I learned in life uh, in church ministry, sad to say, is I thought going in, I can get along with anybody and everybody. And soon I found out there are a few people, not many, there are a few individuals out there which they just do not want to get, get along with. And they see everybody else as the problem, not them. It's always the church. It's always somebody in the church and that. There are some individuals who repeatedly and unrepentantly demonstrate sinful and even evil, destructive behavior. And the worst thing that could be done is to turn a blind eye to that because they're doing great damage to themselves. And not only that, they're doing great damage to those around them. And often they're doing great damage to the body of believers. As Rebecca Pippert writes in her book, Hope Has Its Reasons, when we see someone we love ravaged by unwise actions or relationships... Real love stands against the deception, the lie, the sin that destroys. Couldn't have said it better. The Greek word Paul uses for hate here literally means to be horrified. Now, in, in this culture in which we are, where our consciences and sense of spiritual sensitivity have been dulled to great lengths, can we honestly say we're horrified by all sin, not just certain ones, but all sin, including the sin in our own lives with which we may be wrestling with. Or are we only horrified when that sin or evil affects us personally? On the one hand, we are called to address evil and set boundaries even when it may be a difficult or scary thing to do. But on the other hand, we are called to address sin in those we love the most. Even when it's uncomfortable, or even when we may fear hurting them, or it even costing us our relationship. When we really love someone, it is easy for our spiritual clarity to get fuzzy. And the lines between good and evil, it's easy for them to get difficult to realize, either because the other person's feelings are so intertwined with our own that we care so much we can't stand to see them hurt, or because they can have hurtful and harmful consequences to the other person that we can't control. Perhaps it's out of a sense of loyalty that we overlook certain things. The most good, loving thing we can do for those closest to us is to care enough to speak the truth concerning any sinful, destructive patterns that they have 
or any wrong directions in which they may be heading. Is it a loving thing if a person is heading past a dead end that runs right off a cliff to let that person keep heading in that direction without trying to say, hey, where you're heading, it's going to hurt you. And it's going to hurt those in the car with you. Think of this. Many parents may not discipline their children as they should because they're more as we often say, concerned about being their friend more than their parent. And therefore, they're willing to let destructive patterns in their children's lives continue. And that winds up hurting their kids for the rest of their lives. In other close relationships, it's easy for us to become blind to the other person's shortcomings as they are and take their side out of the sense of loyalty, but even that can have hard and hurtful consequences to the other person and those around them. The most loving thing we can do is speak the truth in love. That's the ultimate loyalty. I've messed up on this before in my life. I remember a good, good friend of mine told me something they were planning on doing. And it was not evil, what they were doing. But in my heart, it just did not feel right. But I still said, yeah, okay, if that's what you're sensing, far be it from me to get between you and the Lord if that's what you're sensing. And it cost him and his family dearly. There's a greater allegiance, if you will, which is the third point to agape love. We are to exercise an agape love for one another that demonstrates an allegiance, an allegiance that cares enough to speak the truth. But looking at verse 10, it says, do, uh, goes down, it says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. The word devoted and brotherly love is derived from that word in the Greek philia, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. This was the love that described the close-knit, warm ties between family members. And a lot of us know what those ties are like. We're a part of big families here that are close to one another, and that's a good thing. But Paul uses this word to describe the church family. Think about how he instructed young Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 2. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters. Treat them as your own family, Timothy. Healthy church families are caring and committed to one another. And as the saying goes, you know that saying that we all have often heard, blood is thicker than water. Now we often say that in a context of conflict, but think about it. Blood is thicker than water. As God's family... We all share the same blood. Christ. Christ. He goes on to say in verse 10, honor one another above yourselves. The Greek word translated honor here is actually a noun that means value. You know, we all have things that are valuable to us, but how many of us consider each other valuable to us, to one another? The Greek participle in this verse is clouded by our English translation because it's not even really translated in there. 
but it means outdoing. So the verse could be read as this if it was a literal translation. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, outdoing the honor of one another. Where you're trying to outdo one another in honoring one another. Imagine what a church would look like if everybody was focused on out honoring, if you will, everybody else. Imagine how radical that would be. Think of how awesome it would be if everyone made it a point to respect one another regardless of who they were, where they were from, or what they looked like or did. Think of how awesome it would be to be a part of a community that doesn't look down on anyone. A part of a community that doesn't neglect those who have nothing to gain us in return, at least from a worldly sense. As Paul says in verse 16, he said, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. You know, when we're too good to hang around somebody, we don't often think of that as pride and conceit, but that's what it is. They have nothing to offer us, so I don't care to go talk to them. I'd rather go talk to this person over here, whom I know boosts my status or I know it might get me some money, or they might do something else, or they're going to say something good about me to make me feel good, but I'm going to avoid all those people over there. When one of us is hurting, do our hearts generally hurt with them? When one of us is rejoicing and celebrate, do we genuinely in our hearts celebrate with them? That verse we just read that many of you have been to a funeral, you hear me say this passage, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Or a Sunday morning, merely a time where we get together for a while and we forget about all the prayer requests and everything and then come back and like, oh, yeah, 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 I remember that now. I remember that again. When one of us is in need, do we genuinely care about that person enough to do something tangibly to help them do we open up our hearts and homes to one another remember paul said in verse 13 share with god's people who are in need practice hospitality our brothers and sisters in christ extremely important and valuable to us like family to us are we there for one another in the good times and in the tough you know sometimes people worry about what to say to people that are deeply deeply hurt just speaking personally sometimes the best thing you do is just go and say i just came to say i love you don't feel like you're obligated to say something oftentimes we say things that don't often help but if you're there for them and you care for them Lots of times when I go to see folks when they're hurting, they're not looking for me to whip out this sermon. They want me there to listen, to pray, and to be there. I wonder how many sermons will be remembered after I'm gone. Not much. 
People won't remember all that we say and all that we do, but they will remember when you're there. Are we there for one another? Such love requires self-sacrificing patience and diligence on our part, which leads to point number four. Agape love for one another demonstrates perseverance. Perseverance. It doesn't give up. Even when the going gets rough, even when it hurts, perseveres. My grandmother once told me, this was not long before she died, I was talking about something, I'd been going through a difficult season and this, that, and the other, and she just kind of in passing said, well, nothing in life is worth anything if you don't have to work for it. There's nothing of value that you don't have to work hard for. How many of us love our children? Raise your hands. You love your child? Most of the time, that's an honest answer. Love perseveres, though, Vivian. It perseveres. Now, how hard is that love? Years ago, many of us got married, and we looked at one another, and we're like, oh, this is like my knight in shining armor. We had no idea what we were in store for. Love perseveres. We must be fully invested in one another for it to work. The same is true at the church. Verse 11, never be lacking in zeal. That's a good word, zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Agape love requires that we not give up on the community of believers. But I would imagine if I asked for a show of hands, many of us would know at least one person that has along the way. Agape love requires a zealous, enthusiastic commitment to one another and a fervent, passionate spirit for one another as we serve the Lord with all our heart. we got to put it all in. It takes a full investment. If I have a couple that's having marital issues come to talk to me and they're not fully invested in it, guess how far it's going to go? Not very far. Agape love requires the joy found in our hope in Jesus Christ, which fuels our patience in our afflictions and troubles as we pray with and for one another. Which leads to the final point. We are to exercise agape love for one another that demonstrates encouragement. Encouragement. And I just want to close with a story from Rick Warren that embodies what this encouragement looks like. There was a lady, he says, that was kind of 10 pews back from the back end, one of his services one day, and he was doing the closing prayer. And it's one of those at first, to be honest with you, you know, if we're all sitting out there, it would be kind of awkward because she was sobbing loudly. Clearly, she was deeply hurt and was there. And then he says, every bone in my body wanted to jump off the stage, run down to that woman, give her a hug, and pray with her. Then I thought, if I do that and go back there, the dam's going to break and there will be a hundred other people crying too. Then something happened that was a great example of mutual encouragement. All the people around this woman, she was new to Saddleback and didn't know anybody, surrounded her and smothered her with love. 
Now, if we'd been in that same position, what would our reaction be? I know you've got to be careful because people don't know one another, but would we reach out or just pretend it's not happening? Because why? Because that's uncomfortable. But what would we do? He goes on to say, as she sat there crying and the whole church could hear it, people behind and in front began to pat her on the back. When we all stood up at the end, these same people gathered around her and talked to her. I thought, that is the church in action. Let us pray. Father God, we not only want to be a church that says we love you and love others as ourselves, but we also want to be a church that does actively, in tangible ways, love you with agape love and love one another with agape love. This can only happen if the agape love that was demonstrated on the cross transforms our own hearts in a radical way. Changes we pray, Father, day by day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.